You're listening to Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Monday, March 7th. Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated, joined by Pete Sampson from The Athletic. Learning football spring practice is 10 days away now, the start of spring practice. And we had uh, several Northern players in the Indianapolis Combine. We want to talk about that, but the biggest news of the weekend, as reported by Irish Illustrated, Jarrett Patterson tore a pectoral muscle in the weight room during the week. He, of course, will miss spring. He will have surgery this Friday. Dr. Brian Radigan, former Northern player and Northern orthopedic surgeon, will do the procedure on Friday. Um, Guys, I wrote about it. Why don't you guys jump in and talk about it first? I mean, it's. I think with these injuries, it's you know, it's it's not missing spring practice. It's the missing two, three months of training. Um, you know, when you're we we're talking about, well, he should be ready for training camp or he should be ready for Iowa State. It's uh, it's just a lot of ground to make up that you lose. Um, you know, it's these guys condition all year round, so when you're forced to take three months off or take a three month adapted training program. That's, that's difficult. Um, you know, I think when we talked about guys returning, if we had to rank the priority of guys coming back or leaving Patterson was a unanimous number two behind Isaiah Foskey, but ahead of Kevin Austin. Um, so it's, it's really significant. Um, you know, and it's like the weight, weight room injuries, I think are particularly tough because it's, you know, we're going to, when you're going out and practicing or playing games in my mind, at least like, it's like, okay, that happens. Um, you know, weight room injuries, I think are just kind of harder to process. Yeah. It's, it's also, I reached out to a couple orthopedic surgeons and they're just like, yeah, I mean, four to six weeks is, or four to six months is what it is for a, a standard human being, a, a you know, elite athlete can beat that, but it's not about getting back from it. It's what, how fast can he be Jarrett Patterson? Yeah. And Jarrett Patterson, the reason why we all felt he was a top-tier player is because he was going to continue to improve with off-season training, off-season weightlifting, right? I mean, that is supposed to be part of this, is that he becomes the nation's best center because of his off-season and because of the new teachings of Harry Easton. And it's just, it's really unfortunate timing. You got to feel for him. Uh, the elite athlete thing does allow you to get back in the four to six to play. But when is Jarrett Patterson full go? Is he full go August 7th? Is he full go September 4th? Because then he's not full go. Right. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think the definition of full go is a little, is kind of floating out there, you know, when, and I know people want to be optimistic when they hear terrible news like that, but right away you hear, Oh, okay. He'll be back for Ohio state. And to your point, Pete, and this is what I was trying to say, I, you know, you say three months. I, I mean, I kind of look at it as fi- there's five months of what would have been uninterrupted, yeah. healthy training that's what was supposed to make him right. the best in the nation exactly, exactly. Right. that and working with harry he and he has worked with harry he and i'm sure has already benefited from that he will lose the opportunity to work with harry he on the field this spring so i'm sure he'll be ready i i i mean i don't i i i don't think that he's going to be the best that he can possibly be and that that's a blow to notre dame it goes beyond whether he'll be ready for for Ohio state or not, because he's going to miss some really, really significant gains, you know, for the first, I don't know how many weeks or months he's just recuperating. Certainly he'll be doing rehab, but you're not, I mean, you're not anywhere close to doing the kind of work that you were before. So from that point, it's, it's uh, significant injuries happen in the weight room. Uh, They're not as visible as they are on the football field because you have games. And if a player's not playing the next week, it's visible. If a guy has a weight room injury, we don't sometimes know about it unless it's as serious as this one was. And I think there's a fine line. <laughs> you know, I, I saw some people calling for uh, Irish illustrated to do an investigation into what, what Matt Bayless did wrong here. And by all accounts, um, I mean, PU and I heard the same thing that, there was a training session earlier in the week and then a training session at the end of the week before they left for spring break. Um, I'm not accustomed to the philosophy of training the same body part twice within a couple of days. It sounds like that's what happened and this is where the injury occurred. So I don't know if training has changed back from uh, years ago or not. That sounded a little bit unusual, but I hate to, I hate to uh, immediately say that Matt Bayless 
uh, is at fault here, as some people are apt to do, uh, with all, with with not really knowing that side of the story. Yeah, it's just it's bizarre, right? Like you know, we've we've all written about like the science that goes into training now. Um, you know, whether it be GPS for load monitoring or like how they have individual programs for all these guys, like, um, because I think they would probably do a better job in theory of like preventing something like this from happening. But in this instance. It, know, might have, yeah. it, it might not. Yeah. It might not. It might might not. Yeah. I don't. We don't really know. It's um. It's it's just a tough situation for Patterson mostly, um, especially after coming back from an injury, different injury, um, you know, where he didn't feel like fully himself most of last year, which he said, um, you know, and now he's again not going to have uh, an opportunity to be like the one hundred percent best version of himself at the start of the season. Um, so that's. It just, it's, it's unfortunate for him, you know, spring practice. It's almost like if he had taken 5% of the reps in spring practice, that would have been totally fine. Um, you know, I think that he can watch and learn from Harry Eastand uh, and you can get Zeke Carell or Andrew Kristofik or Pat Coogan or Rocco Spindler, whoever the interior, your interior guy who moves up the pecking order there, that will be fine. But um, to me, it's more than anything, it's like, the loss of training time for Patterson is, yeah. is no, I agree blow. that I, I agree with that part, Pete. Uh, and for the record, it's his left pectoral, uh, which means he snaps a football with his right and he engages in contact with the nose guard with his left. So choosing between which one you would have rather have him hurt. It's the wrong one because he has to lead with that. He has to lead with that hand for, for what it's worth. So I want to, make this separate from Patterson, but nine, 10 months from now, when people don't want the equivalent of Josh Lug to come back to Notre Dame's football team, because they already see their starting five. <laughs> they don't want the 23 year old 60 year senior starter to be involved. Right. <laughs> Pretty happy to have Josh Lug back right now. Aren't you? Okay. Stay off my message board from now on. Right. <laughs> not, Morons. not that you're suggesting Josh Lug play center. No, course, I'm suggesting. I under, I understand completely. And, and that, and that's all, you know, why would we want to bring Lindsay back? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because he's an experienced football player who may take the next step with a new coach. He has a new coach too, and he could take the next step with that. Anyway, plenty of time to talk about that, months to talk about that. But uh, at the Indianapolis Combine, uh, specifically, I think we should talk about Kyle Hamilton and Kevin Austin Jr. and Kyron Williams. And I got to tell you a little funny anecdote. When when Hamilton ran his ran his four five nine and four six one on Sunday, I mean, I, you know, I approach Twitter. Pete, you you give great context to a lot of your tweets and stuff, and, and what happens. A lot of times, I just retweet it because just because. And so, in this instance, all I said was Kyle Hamilton four five nine unofficial first run. Kyle Hamilton four six one unofficial second run. I didn't say anything more than that. You reported these, something. You reported right, something. Right, right. I gave I gave out two facts. F a c t s two facts. Uh, and and it's funny how Nordic fans immediately on Twitter ju- Twitter jump to the defense of Kyle Hamilton. Like it's not about speed. He does all these things and all these things and all these things, and it shouldn't impact his his draft status. I didn't question any of that. All I said was he ran a four, five, nine and a four, six, one. Yeah. I've had a fun exercise with this to start off Monday musing. So I'm not going to read them, but uh, it's not about speed when it's Kyle Hamilton and Kyron Williams. And by the way, I agree. It's not about speed, but boy, it sure was about speed when Notre Dame was winning Twitter when it was Kevin Austin, wasn't it? Yeah. Weird how that works, right? He's the best player ever. All right, dude, let's just remember we watch games too. Okay. Like it was about Kevin Austin's speed and ability. And then it wasn't about Kyron Williams. Right. right. Now I get that. And Kyron Williams ran a four seven zero and four seven two. And what what was the deal? And they they officially ran a four six five. I don't know. Right. How, how do how do they make the adjustments from that? I hadn't heard that before. I don't. I can't tell you how they do that. I just know that 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 was last among running backs. Yeah. Comparatively slow yet dynamic running back runs comparatively slow forty yard dash time. And so so. So finally, I have some type of excuse as to why I rated Kyra Williams lower in the class when he was <laughs> came to Notre Dame. Because I'm Not like, anymore, you know, we've seen the, the guy. Too. No, I know, I know the guy doesn't have great speed. That's why I, I did that. Of course, 
who knew that he could escape three people in a in a six foot by six foot closet? <laughs> I didn't quite know that part of it. I didn't quite. You don't know have that to be part. fast to stiff arm people to the ground. No. no. It, look, Kyron Williams entered that combine as a future championship level backup running back, and that's how he's going to enter the draft too. You put him on your team, you have a better running back than him on your team, and he's your reserve running back, and he does great things. And if it's a good team with a good line and a smart offensive coordinator, he'll look great. And if he's on a bad team with a bad line and a dumb offensive coordinator that gets fired, Kyron Williams won't have a great career. This is how the NFL works for 95% of its entrance. Yeah, I think with, like, Hamilton, the the whole idea that it doesn't matter, I think, is pretty foolish because, I mean, we're talking about him – should he go number one overall right, or number right. three overall or number six? Like those are difference of millions and millions of dollars. Like that, that matters. You remember when we saw the official freshman training back in the day and he was like 42 and a half vertical and four, seven, one, what his four, seven, one was going to become four, four, five. That's not possible. You don't run that much faster unless he tripped when he ran his four, seven, one mm-hmm. and nobody put it down on a pamphlet for some reason. Like, he plays fast, but Pete, you're right. If he ran, if, if he ran in a unicorn world, a four four two, he could maybe be the number one pick of the draft. Because you're not com- like that's what I think people. Some are like, well, Kyle Hamilton is still clearly the best safety in the draft by a wide margin. But like we're comparing him to Evan Neal and yeah. Aiden Hutchinson. Like it's not. Boy, did you see Hutchinson? Apples, apples situation. Hutchinson looks. I thought he looked outstanding. Well, he's good uh, too. Yeah, yeah, his tape also is excellent. Yes. Um, yeah. So it's like when it, when you're at that level of the draft, it's like you're trying to because like Kyle Hamilton checks what ninety eight percent of your boxes, yeah. but maybe straight line speed in the forty yard dash is not is one of the two that he doesn't check. And yeah. I'm probably misspeaking when we look at our myopic view. We knew Kyle Hamilton was not a speed burner from when you see four seven one as a freshman. You cannot be a speed burner. And then you put on weight because you're supposed to put on weight for his job as a football player. You can trade all you want. You're not running Will Fuller, right? Yeah, he's right. 220. He's, yeah. he's 220. I mean, so it's, I think maybe people that saw Kyle Hamilton play all year and saw him close on every football that was ever thrown, even the one he missed for a touchdown, he closed right on it. You know, he, he closes on every ball. They thought he has elite speed. Yeah, it's just everything else he has that's elite. It's and yeah, when you, when you see a Georgia 340-pound defensive lineman running a 478, <laughs> I mean, my God, that is unbelievable. I thought Hamilton looked, maybe I was looking for, but I thought he kind of labored through his second 40 run. It just didn't look like his running gait was was smooth. And, and, let, me, and let me just make this, I, I said this on Twitter because somebody on Twitter said, you know, the combine's overrated. Well, it's not overrated if you evaluate it at face value. You know, it's the combine is how many boxes can you check to use your phrase, Pete? And and uh, you check some of them and you, and others you don't. And that, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't mean that you, you, you drop in the, in, in the draft. I'm, I'm just saying that those things count to it's additional information for the NFL to evaluate. If you base everything upon a combine, that's a mistake. If you base everything upon film against who knows what kind of competition you're playing against. Yeah. What if you base everything about, but, film on November competition for Notre Dame, right? All the best teams people have played against for Notre Dame. Like that's there's. Yeah. So the combine's not overrated if you take it for face value and what it's worth. And it, and that is checking boxes and putting it up against the film that, that you've seen of, of that player in relation to the competition that player is playing against. So it's not overrated. Kyle Hamilton, when the ball is in the air, he is going to jump those 42 inches. And with the ball's in the air, he is going to run to that sideline. Yeah. Now, the 4-7 for Kyron Williams, that's certainly more problematic. No doubt. It wasn't highly yeah, that's... Highly thought of enough outside of our circle. What's that? He wasn't highly thought of enough outside of our circle. Right, right, right. Exactly. Now, his film is spectacular um, <laughs> on most occasions. So, um you know, but that is uh, when you're five, you know, if Kyron Williams was six two two thirty, Yeah. That'd be one thing. I think this is important to note too. We're also talking about the NFL draft, not your NFL life, right? Mm-hmm. Once you get drafted in the second round, it doesn't make you any better than the fifth round guy. It just makes a hundred 
second rounders probably more valuable than a hundred fifth rounders. It's kind of like a five-star, a four-star and a three-star. If my entire team is made up of first and second rounders, I have a better chance <laughs> of being good than if my entire team is made up of sixth and seventh rounders. However, individually, one of those seventh rounders is going to be way better than one of those first rounders. It's just, right. but it's, that's not the math of it. And, and most, of the, most of the second rounders are going to be better than most of the fourth and fifth rounders. Right. That's not, just a certain yeah. guy is of course not that. Case. Right. Right. You have outliers. Certainly guys. What else do you want to hit in the first segment? We last week, we, I said, Oh, we'll go to position by position <laughs> because we didn't have anything real specific well, to talk Kevin, about. We didn't talk week. about Kevin Austin and he, and he helped himself. He had a great combine. Yeah. For, yeah. He did other things besides the four, three, seven and good for him. You know, like we, we, and I realized I, I, you know, said he was making a mistake and running a four, seven at four, three, seven at the combine doesn't mean that he has, he's arrived or anything, but good for him. I mean, he invested in Kevin Austin, Jr. Invested in Kevin Austin, Jr. And in his first opportunity to to put his best foot forward, that's exactly what he did. Yeah, I mean his his official was a four four three, um, which like I feel like yeah. he plays I would plays guess, that way. Yeah, I agree. This thing going in, I'd say he will make four four. He will not crack under four four five, which he did. So I would surprise me. Yeah, that. but yeah, you know, thirty nine vertical jump, really good broad jump, one hundred thirty two, really good. Um, his three cone was really good. Three cone was really good. You know, it's like his his 40 time officially was, I think, 14th among receivers, which like there are a lot of really good athletes at that position. Um, so but I mean, he had he had a good combine. I, I would think that he would certainly put himself in a position to be like. What mid round kind of fifth, fourth, maybe I don't know, um, certainly yeah, he, he would definitely be like, I would think his combine would force GMs and scouts to be like, I need to do a little bit more research on this one. I don't know. I'm not sure how well he caught the football. I didn't, I didn't catch any of that. Did you catch any of that? I did not. Um, I was surprised know. how surprised people were at Kevin Austin's outstanding performance though. Weren't right. they there on March 5th, 2020? Exactly. I mean, <laughs> elite that was the date. The, it, March 5th. Oh yeah. The one and only spring practice of 2020. <laughs> Well, they weren't they were there on August 14th then either, because that was the day we all saw him again in August and all ran up to Tommy Reese and said, um, Kevin Austin. He's like, Yeah, yeah, you saw it. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. But I don't know. You know what? People are mad because he only got one year out of Kevin Austin. I get it. Learning fans are mad because they got one year out of Kevin Austin. But I know whose fault that was. Yes, it that was Kevin Austin's fault. It and kudos to him for giving Notre Dame fans a great year because he could have left and given them nothing. Yeah, no doubt. Segment two coming up, burning up the boards. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics. Burning up the board, segment two, we start with a question from the Irish Rover. Are there any names in addition to Zeke Carell and Pat Coogan at the center position while Jarrett Patterson is out, or will the spring and fall competition be mostly between those two? I thought Pete made a very good point with the Andrew Christophic can get a look because if they prefer Christophic there to Carell, they can find out quickly. And of course, Carell's the default, right? Yeah, it's kind of like three for two there. I'm sorry, Pete, go ahead. No, yeah, I, I was going to say it's, you know, I would think Carell would get the first look, but, you know, you could try Christophic there, which then probably moves Spindler into the first team. Which That's is where I was going. Not That's insignificant because um, I think you need to give him a taste of that to give yeah. him a full spring to evaluate. Like if there's a very squint you can see the silver lining on it. It's that Rocco Spindler will get like a full spring ball with he stand to like, all right, let's see what you got. And I, you know, Christophic had got a ton of reps at center in the spring. Yes. He learned He learned to play center. It was part he of did the learn to play center in the spring. So that's a, that's a possibility. If you're going to play Corral, it's probably at center. It's, it's not a yep. guard because that didn't work yes. really well. And I'm sure that Pat, Pat Coogan's not ready. I don't know. I mean, you can I only have, you only have so many center prospects. I mean, if you got to guess, we're going to guess Carell wins the spring job. Like, Zeke maybe, you know, maybe maybe Tanona takes 
not that not that Tanone is in a position to start, but maybe he takes some snaps at at center. Um, yeah, they're not gonna they're not gonna go with Lug. That, that's not going to happen. Um, no, but oh, Lug is no, like those a great are the, third. Lug is your ideal third string center right now. That's who you want as your third string center guy that can go in and just <laughs> he gets you through the fourth quarter of a game. That's if, if right. Coogan's not back, they still have three centers. Coogan probably takes third string snaps during right. practice, but in reality, Lug yeah. would probably yeah. be the be number three. And we don't know. We should. I agree with you about Coogan, um, but he could be ahead of what we know. We just we never even bothered asking him. As soon as Jared Patterson came back, Pat Coogan went off my radar because he was the third string. Yeah, center. you know, and a guy. I, I when I when I wrote up the Patterson story, I kind of made it a depth chart kind of thing at the bottom of the story. And, and uh, I didn't mention Michael Carmody in the mix, but he's a guy, remember Brian Kelly talked about how strong he was for his age. So, you know, he could be in the mix at guard and we don't know that one way or another for sure right now, but he could be in the mix at, at guard as well. If he is in, indeed as strong for his age as, as Brian Kelly had indicated, which I mean, I, I don't, I don't think there's any reason to, to discount that, even though they're about well, to discount everything Brian Kelly did instead well, of the last 12 years, Tim, pretty obviously. Do you see Kevin Austin jump high? <laughs> you got a real bone to pick there, don't it's you? It's dumb. It doesn't make any sense. Like, <laughs> I mean, Kevin Austin's an elite athlete that posted elite times. Yeah. Why is everybody losing their minds? Yeah. So uh, we're going to find out in what 10 days in 10 it days it much more, it was already an intriguing position group i think pete brought it up actually yeah. last time it's now it's really something to watch in the spring yeah and and i mean it, it helps lug securing a spot too yeah right sure so um we'll see moving forward question from andrew douglish with kyle hamilton almost a lot for the top five why did he choose to participate at the combine, I would understand if he held out of drills, considering he suffered an injury in October and what he had to lose as far as his draft stock. It's, a, I mean, it's a job interview. Um, and I think it's, it's important for people to understand the difference between going fifth and fourth is millions of dollars. Um, so if you want to go and work out and see how high you can go, like, there's a reason Quentin Nelson at the combine a couple of years ago was talking about was essentially campaigning for himself to go in the top five, even though guards never went in the top five. It's not just like, so you can say, Hey, I was a top five pick. It's like, so you can get a top five contract. Um, so the combine is a job interview. I probably wouldn't think a whole lot of somebody who skipped the job interview. Uh, if I was trying to pay them, I don't know, $30 million. So he, you know, Kyle Hamilton had to go out and prove stuff. He also missed the second half of his junior season. So I totally get why NFL teams would be like, we need to see you go out and do some stuff. And let's give Kyle Hamilton some credit. He probably thought he would run a little better and jump a little bit higher. He's, he's confident an athlete that has run faster, I bet, and has jumped higher. We know he just didn't happen to this time. And maybe Tim, maybe you're right. He, maybe he was laboring. Maybe he tweaked something late in the process, but he's like, I'm still going to go out there and do great. And I bet he interviewed. I bet he was awesome in interviews. I bet he was great in every aspect of that. So I don't think he's hurting himself. I mean, he could only, if he ran the four four nine, he would have shot up. I mean, he, there would be nothing left to question about a top right five pick if he ran right. four four nine. And maybe he felt confident that he would do better. He better than he did. My answer to the question, why did he participate, is because, well, Pete, your explanation's great and pertinent, of course. But I would say that Kyle Hamilton's a competitor and. He hadn't played since October and he wanted to compete and show everybody that he was great. Um, you know, it, it, we're, we're in this, we're in this age now where um, skipping out is encouraged. And, and I've said it before and I'll say it again, there are going to be seniors that as we move forward, there will be seniors in college that just sit out. I mean, I guess you could, you could, you could turn pro after your junior year, but you might get in a situation in preseason where something, where something happens, you just say, hell with it. I'm just going to sit out the whole year. I don't, I don't like that philosophy. I don't like that frame of mind. Uh, part of it is because I'm an old man. And so I don't, uh, you know, I don't no, look I at think... the game the same way everybody does now, but this, this whole notion of shying away from competition, I'm not a real big fan of it. 
And I don't think you have to be, be to understand that Kyle Hamilton ensured he wouldn't lose a lot of money by not playing in the bowl game. Uh, good point. He would not lose a lot of money, but that's fine. But it doesn't mean he, it doesn't mean as a Notre Dame fan, you have to be happy he chose not to play. It doesn't, you, two things can be right. <laughs> Notre Dame could have used yeah, Kyle. You don't have to hate on him because your no. guy didn't help contribute to a right. potential but win at Fiesta Bowl. You could definitely have said, man, that disappoints me. I wish he could play because it doesn't matter if it disappoints you. It only matters if he ensures he doesn't lose the money by getting hurt. It's fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> I didn't think I was never disappointed Kyle Hamilton didn't play because at no point ever did I consider Kyle Hamilton was going to play. Yeah. Just to put a point on this, the uh, difference between going fourth and fifth is yeah. two and a half million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd I'd probably go out and work out for that. Yeah. <laughs> you would, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I you would. can jump really high, so you try to show people how high you can jump. And maybe you didn't have oh, your hips yeah. all time that day. At least 12 inches. Yes. Question from any Davis too. Why isn't anybody on the beat talking about tight ends coach Jared Parker? I wrote a story about Jared Parker on February 23rd. If you'd like to check it out, it is about his refresher course in coaching tight ends for the first time in more than a decade. How Pete or Pete, I'm sorry, Tim, just give, I didn't have an opportunity to, to be around him at all that day. Cause it's frantic us trying to get to 10, right. 10 people. Um, just your impressions of Jared Parker. I, I mean, I enjoyed him. I thought uh, he was probably a little too honest with with for Notre Dame fans when he said, "Yeah, I haven't I haven't coached tight ends in a really long time. It's a refresher course for me." But look, he's an offensive coordinator. He's he's got the chops to do it. He once he drills back in, he and he said, "I'm excited by it. I'm going to be drilling back down to tight end fundamentals for the first time in over a decade." That's it's not. I mean, it it's the all around abilities of a coach that matter more, I think, that if he has to refresh hand placement, he could do that. You think? He's not start he's not starting from scratch. Yeah, that that's what scratch, right. That's what that's what bugs me about opinions about like El Golden and and hasn't been a defensive court. You don't think El Golden knows defense? I mean he's just right. been a linebackers coach for a team that played in the Super Bowl. You don't think El Golden knows how to be a defensive coordinator because he hasn't been one in a while. He's it's, he hasn't been selling insurance. And I bet Notre Dame could have found a more technically proficient tight end coach than Jared Parker, but that sure. wasn't what they're looking for. I sure. mean, two things can be true. Once again, two things can be true. Maybe John McNulty right. knew more about being a tight ends coach. Right. But this sure. is a guy that was an offensive coordinator. Right. That's valuable. This is a guy who has a reputation as a good recruiter. That's important as well. I think that we would all agree that if you were ranking the critical nature of coaching expertise by position, tight end would be last, right? Yeah, we didn't talk, in fairness to Andy Davis too here, we didn't talk a whole lot about John McNulty either. Of course, we never had an opportunity to talk well, to him for two years. So that well, may have had something in to do with it. Andy Davis, too. he might have missed my story. It was just a February 23rd story on Jared Parker. Yeah, but but I mean, I think his point is well taken that, it, you know, Jared Parker is probably the least talked about of the 10 assistant coaches, right? Yeah. Somebody, somebody and, and for good, like for good reason, right? Somebody has to be last, I guess, or the least talked about. I think John McNulty was probably last and least talked about. I, no, that that's my point that, yeah. yeah and I, he, you don't, I would say John McNulty's career of coaching tight ends. Do you know how many seasons he coached tight ends before he showed up at Notre Dame? How many? Two. He did a pretty good job. Yeah, of course, you know, and Jared, Jared Parker, Jared Parker's probably going to do a really, he's going to do a great job with Michael Mayer this fall. I actually too, I promise you that Jared Parker <laughs> has a better year coaching tight ends in 2022 than he does in 2023. Yeah, true. Absolutely guaranteed. Very true. Very true. Uh, presuming that Michael Mayer will, yeah, presuming yeah, I mean, a year from today, we'll be talking question. about Michael Mayer in, in the combine. He's, we will be talking about Michael Mayer. And why did he work out? He yeah. was a top he was a top round pick. Doesn't make any sense. Well, yeah, he, he skipped the playoff he, game. See what I did there? Got yeah. The Next from MG Perez 0718. Do you think Tommy Reese will open up the offense more now that BK is not here? The despotic rule of BK is over still. A <laughs> Pete, go ahead. Uh, yes and no. I think Tommy Reese will open up the offense more now. And I don't think Brian Kelly will have anything to do with that him being here or not being here. I think that you have a, you're going from a pass first quarterback who couldn't move 
to a dual threat quarterback that you know can run and you need to develop as a passer. So, yeah, I think the offense is going to be totally different. But I don't. I guess I'm not really sure what open up more means. Um, I think generally when somebody says that, they mean throw it, throw it more. Uh, but you've got a dual quarterback. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. So no, you're probably not be... going to. Well, you know, they could mean nowadays. Usually it means I don't like the offense, so I'm going to complain about the coordinator. But in this case, it could mean, hey, RPOs. Can we get some RPOs? Because that's what Tyler Buckner can definitely do much better than Jack Cohen or Ian Book or anyone else. So that would be opening it up more. And I think that's a guarantee. As long that's as a, gar- that's comes, a guarantee. That's close to his potential. There's a lot of RPOs. It'll probably look really cool. Like the Chris Tyree play, the touchdown to Chris Tyree. Like that was a one of the most beautiful plays of the season. I think you'll see better. You'll see more of that. And the fans were, the fans were acknowledging how, what a beautiful play it was too. Did anybody, I mean, I don't remember anybody ever saying that was a good play call, but that one was pretty cool. <laughs> you know, here's, here's the other, here's the other thing. Jack Cohn being a, a very veteran quarterback. Yeah. I realized that because of his lack of running skills, that limited areas of the, of the, the playbook, yeah. but you had a veteran quarterback there. So the playbook, all things being considered probably a little bit more extensive with a guy like that than you would with, you know, with Tyler Buckner coming in with very, very limited experience. And so uh, one way of looking at it is to the layman, all of us, besides the coaches, it could look like it's more involved because they'll have some bells and whistles that are cool that, that showcase Tyler Buckner's ability. But in reality, there's probably fewer route combinations, probably fewer checks, probably fewer other things. Right. And it was a much more expansive playbook under Jack Cohen. We just had no idea. Yeah. No, I mean, the, what they ran in the festival was pretty expansive. They threw it yeah. 68 times. Are you looking to open up the offense more than that? Um, I, I don't know if that's what you this questioner really means when he also asks the it. Coolest Tyree play, the second coolest Tyree play of the year was in the festival. Yeah, so uh, this is a fun detail of that play that I never wrote about because it's just like the game went sideways. That was a check that they installed during the week, and the name of the check was Mullet. <laughs> it didn't have, it didn't have anything, didn't have anything to do with the opposing coach. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it sure did. <laughs> you should have led with that even after the loss because yeah, – just like – I was like, this is an awesome detail that I'm just not going to do anything with. <laughs> See, that's why you need a you need a weekly column to throw all yeah. that crap in there. <laughs> Question from uh, Wash ND: What are your thoughts on the reduced access to spring practices, but the increased access to players and coaches? Net positive or net negative? It's such I an would... increase. Mm. Sorry, Pete, to interrupt. No, it's such ahead. an increase with players. It's a net positive. If it was a more mild increase of players, it would be a net negative for me. But it, it's such a dramatic – I'm not sorry, with coaches. With yeah. coaches and players, it's such an increase, it's a positive. If you just kind of – if they would have got a little less, I'd have been like, oh, I want to see a little bit more practice. But I think all those co- – those coaches are the absolute key to all spring off-season stories. And I, I would say in-season too, but I understand that they don't talk much in the season. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it because I think that in practice, in the – spring you want more practice access and viewing but then in may june and july you man thank god we got all those coaches and i could skip the fact that i missed a really good one-on-one rep between Dion colsey and ryan barnes um yeah that's overall i think it's a it's a positive well, even though i would have liked one more open practice right, right we how much access did we have practice to last spring I mean, we had nothing. We had, we had nothing. We had no, no, no. we had we had three minutes of video. So we so what we have we have one we have two full practices, right? One during spring, and then the blue goal game itself. So it's one full practice. Yeah, one. I would describe that as one full practice. That's one full practice. The blue goal game doesn't count as a full practice. For the no, media. okay, okay. So we have one full practice among the first fourteen practices. Yeah. We have a couple practices that are five periods, which really doesn't help us a whole lot. I mean, it's kind of a I mean, I'm not saying I don't want it. Wait, is it five I'll, periods? I'll t- is it five it periods? It is five periods, yeah. yeah. I thought it was 40 minutes and five periods for the cameras, which makes a difference. But Okay, well, I, I we'll have to double-check double, double check that. But you don't you don't get to – it's – as we always say, and you, you know, Melly and I are – we're doing practice reports, and it's a body count. Who's at that yeah. – who's working at corner? Who's working at safety? Who's working at linebacker? And, you know, by the time you're – you're done making sure everybody's there. 
they're ushering you out of the the building. So, you know, I, again, (laughs) the, the older I get, the, the less of a complaining old man, I think I become about access and stuff because it just isn't, it's nothing that we can control and everybody's different. The access, the access to the players and coaches for interviews is really outstanding when you consider how much time that we have lost in the last couple of years. And we don't have enough stories. You need that. I mean, you need the coaches yeah. to, to write a real story. I mean, you know, players got to be great to do anything more than a story that. Well, and I was putting something up. So. Yeah. And I assume we're, I, I assume Notre Dame's going to still put out practice video again, right? Like they did last year. Yeah. To augment what we see. I would right. Think. Exactly. So yeah. I, you know, I, I felt like, I felt like after 14 practices of three minute clips, which on the surface doesn't sound like a whole lot. I thought we saw, I mean, I thought I had a pretty good feel all things considered for never actually setting foot on the sideline. So now we're going to set feet on the sideline. We're going to have a full practice and we're still going to have the video plus the interviews. I'm not, I'm not complaining. Does it say much about me and like that I should be fired? That uh, before the before the 2020 season, where I saw zero practices, is the only year I've gotten absolutely every game right. Predicted the ACC conference championship and the playoff loss. It's, it's stupid as bliss. Stupid as bliss, man. <laughs> you know what that was, Pete? It was March 5th. Kevin Austin jumping in the air, and I just knew he would lead them to the promised land if he hadn't been thrown on the bench by that broken foot twice. Yeah, we do have a way of looking back at injuries when they happen maybe this is applicable for jared patterson and thinking they're completely devastating at the time and then they don't really mean a lot by the end of the season yeah that actually is that's usually the case in football so yeah I like, think Notre, like Notre Dame secondary giving up fewer passing yards when kyle hamilton went down for the rest of the year until they played a good team but i just want to point yes. out <laughs> yeah. that is the case how will they play good defense or have a pass rush with the jordan vitello's uh uncertain status like oh, that's right how many podcast minutes did we spend on that last august definitely he's much. the key he's the key to a great yeah. defense question from cmu pence fan this week again brian mason seems to want to revamp the way the team plays special teams what do you think will be the most noticeable ways he does this well aggressiveness for sure because he told us that but i i want to see if he is able to follow through with the more starters on special teams. And I want to see how long that lasts as a positive. Because if a guy gets hurt covering a kick, all of a sudden that's a negative, right? That you're playing starters on special teams. (laughs) Yeah, that's the way it works. But Marcus Freeman does, I mean, he, he even Mason pointed out, he said Marcus Freeman is extremely supportive of special teams. We do know, I have been, lauding brian kelly on this podcast just to point out that he might have known something we do know brian kelly did not put enough emphasis on special teams because there were many years where you didn't see a minute of special teams in the spring so i asked brian mason when we talked to him is it difficult to do special teams in the spring with not having a whole team here you have other guys coming in He's like it's not difficult if you try that is a great answer that's that's kind of what you want to hear yeah starters on special teams i asked him like all right, well, how much did like Sauce Gardner and Kobe Bryant play on special teams last year? And he's like, you know, you you would sort of put starter because I think it was a question about like the the core four guys, like guys on every every team. He's like, we don't that's not really a big focus for him because when you have starters mixed into it, there's less opportunity for these guys just to do all the special teams because you have Sauce Gardner covering kickoffs or Kobe Bryant uh, on the punt block team. So that how that changes, like, will we see, I mean, I'm trying to think of guys that would be like, Oh, I, you know, we would never, cause we've seen Isaiah Foskey on special teams. And even oh, last year um, he was on kickoff coverage. Um, you know, I would think that would continue. I'm not, I'm not sure who the other guys would be like, Oh, this guy's on special teams. And last year, maybe he wouldn't have been. Do they really need Isaiah Foskey on kick coverage? <laughs> it's mean, fun to watch. No, there's no doubt, but I, all right. A couple things. Number one, Brian Polian did a pretty damn good job considering he didn't have a ton of practice time to he did to really brush up on everything. He he did it, he did a hell of a job. He really did. Um, second thing, you know, Notre Dame's depth of personnel has to be better than Cincinnati's. 
So, I mean, just talent wise. So, you know, they should be in a better position to dig deeper into the, into the roster for that. Um, but certainly there's a fine line there between him and, and Marcus Freeman deciding what starters uh, are on special teams or not. As far as biggest difference, Cincinnati blocked six punts. I think they had six block punts and six block kicks last year. So, I mean, if anything should, should show up as a significant difference, that would be it. I, I mean, Isaiah Foskey's your, your, your punt blocker. I'm not sure that they have any other personnel that have established themselves. As yeah. Maybe like Foskey off kickoff coverage on punt block. That's what, yeah, that's what I'm Just saying. I don't know that. that. I don't know that you want Foskey's too valuable. I don't know that you want him on kick coverage, but definitely punt block. Cause he's really good at it. Yeah. Irish for May too. What would surprise you more? Notre Dame getting to the sweet 16, Notre Dame winning the ACC tournament or Notre Dame losing the first round of the ACC tournament. You know, get Notre Dame getting to the sweet 16 in men's basketball is definitely feasible, but a lot of it is the matchup. It's a lot of it is the, the matchup. If you get, if you get a big pounding team, that could be trouble, Tim, which is why we're not thrilled about Notre Dame opening with probably opening with seven seed Virginia tech. Yeah. This is an easy, this is easy. In the ACC tournament. The ACC tournament to win it for Notre Dame. If seeds hold and they, I mean, I guess they might not, but boy, this, the league isn't that great. So you shouldn't be that many upsets. You'd have to beat Virginia tech, North Carolina and Duke. And even if it's Virginia tech, North Carolina and wake forest, that's just almost, that's about as hard for Notre yeah. Dame to do. Wake would be on the other side. Um, the least surprising thing would be if underdog Notre Dame loses in the first round to Virginia Tech, who has lost to you three straight times by far. I wouldn't be surprised by that. Yeah, no, I agree. One off loss to Virginia Tech. I, I think I, the problem with Sweet 16, and Pete's going to point it out now, is if they're an 8 9, there goes your Sweet 16. I would still be more surprised by uh, the ACC tournament would be most surprising. Yes, Sweet I'm 16. sorry. I, I didn't speak there completely when I said the least surprising is Notre Dame losing in the first round. Yeah, I think they have a better chance to make the Sweet 16 than win the ACC tournament. I agree. I agree. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And with the Virginia Tech matchup, you know, that's, that's, that's not that's – not... You would still bet – if you had to bet, though, you would still go ahead and bet Notre Dame – Winning its first, so I did misspeak. You'd you'd bet Notre Dame winning its first round ACC game over those other two because it's beating a team that you're going to be a two point underdog to or whatever, or maybe you get lucky and you play Clemson, who's won four in a row and might beat Virginia right. Tech. Right? right, it's Carolina can lose. Carolina can lose anybody. It just doesn't seem like they will right now because they just beat Duke at Duke <laughs> in glorious, delicious fashion. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's like when Notre Dame last made the tournament, right? They were, were they a six seed? Yeah, yeah, uh, they made it to the final. Yeah, <laughs> but they, you know, I guess it was not last year. It was no, two, okay. the, two, when they beat Stephen F. Austin, like that was, they got a good break with seeding in the second round. Because um, I don't think they, they were supposed the to play. Yeah, and then, and then they got through that. I mean, that's. That that almost is like more, that's more likely to happen again to me than win three games in three days when you play seven and a half guys uh, in the ACC tournament. The thing that I don't, I mean, we'll see what happens here. Uh, Joe Lunardi, does he still have Notre Dame as a ten seed? I, th I thought he had North Carolina. He did when I checked before we started <laughs> this podcast, and he was uh, Notre Dame was a ten seed. That seems a little preposterous to me, still, but I don't I know don't, how I don't know how much. Pardon me. It's still better than being an eight nine. I well, mean, that's why I was going. That was just what I was about to say. Okay, so you move them up, and being an eight nine is worse. Yeah, the only thing you want is to win the ACC tournament and get a seven or something like that, and that's probably not. That's just, now that's really not happening. Both things I said. That's a really tough thing to do. I just I don't think that they should be sitting at a ten seed right now. I think they, if anything, they should be at eight or nine, and if they win a game or two, then they should be in a position to move up. They're twenty. They're 18 and four in the last 22 games. And we can talk about the ACC being bad, but they've Notre Dame basketball has been really good for six weeks. Well, we talked about this pre-podcast and I think it's a point worth making because you look at it, not from a Notre Dame perspective. If Duke is a two seed and Duke was one game better than Notre Dame in the ACC, why is Notre Dame a 10 seed? 
They played uh, in the same conference. Because they, and we're yeah, one yeah, and Notre Dame because, beat Kentucky. Notre Dame beat Kentucky. We can throw out best wins. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I just can't believe the committee has Notre Dame as a 10 seed right now. I, w- I would like to think that that's not true. I, I really 10 seed the, with the way they've played for six weeks. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange one. But you, you know what? You just got to use, by the way, I don't know if Pete, I don't know if you probably didn't hear this from Saturday. And I, did you know some of the things Mike Bray said post game about this team after the game? I doubt he refer- that he knows that. He referenced we've had four, five, and six game winning streaks this year after losses. They just lost to Florida State, you know? He goes, mm-hmm. I just told the team it's time for a 10-game winning streak. He goes, my team thinks it can play into April, and they're right. They're right. I'm quoting him. He listed about 10 reasons. He kept talking about it. He kept saying, let's go take this one and then keep going into April. I was like, man, he is really tripling down. He said this is his favorite team to take into the postseason because of the way they play together. Like, these are not small proclamations by him right he must yep. feel pretty comfortable about this it's just i i mean i i think there's that flaw in the middle it's so hard when they get better athletes and there's so many good athletes everywhere coming right now like they're going to be they could be an underdog the rest of the year well yeah and they had two the, in their two bad matchups down the stretch virginia tech and wake forest it, they lost and, and florida state and they they lost yeah so you know it, it depends upon the draw they're going to have their hands but they're going to have their hands full with size probably every step of the way through the ACC tournament. I really, I really think they're an underdog the rest of the season, no matter how many games they play between two and 10. They have, they have, they have two and nine games left between two and nine games left. They will never be favored unless Clemson upsets Virginia tech. Now they could be, I mean, we don't know the draw in the first round of the NCAA tournament, but I mean, if they're a 10 seed, that's a tough, yeah, then, no, you're right. All right, and then last question, uh, wrapping up with basketball again from Rich Marazzi. What is your best guess of the eight-man rotation next year? I think we all have our opinions as to who's coming back and who isn't. Uh, Pete, I don't know where you are with that. but um, Yeah, I mean, I, it certainly seems like, I mean, you guys are more plugged in than I am, but, like, talking to people over there in the last couple of weeks, like, you know, Lasowski, Goodwin, Blake Wesley, and then, you know, Cormac Ryan. Cormac Ryan wants to come back. I asked Paul Atkinson about this last week, and he's like, I I don't know. He just sort of, like, froze up on it. Um, And, like, I I get it. Um, There's a lot to be figured out. And then he has to make a decision on top of it, if he even can make a decision. Um, You know, and then you get into, you know, J.J. Starling, does he start? Yes. He does. Yes, he does. Okay, great. I'm all for it. Um, you know, yeah, because, and then, because Hub's not Hub's not going to come back. Hub, Hub's so not back. Yeah. That that opens Correct. up that. I and the, the key, okay, so who doesn't come back? I don't think, I mean, right now, I think it's less than 50-50, maybe significantly less that, that Atkinson gets yeah, uh, he's technically not allowed year. to yet. So right, he got his right. life in 50 <laughs> Prentice Hub is likely to leave. And uh, I mean, I'm told that that Trey Wirtz probably he wants to play more. And so that's pr- not going to happen. I got whether the, if Hub leaves, Starling's going to get those minutes. I got the feeling Trey Wirtz would leave because of you heard that, Tim. I heard it from someone else. And he also said, I really enjoyed my two years here at Notre Dame. Oh. And in reality, once Starling comes in and your lineup is Wesley, Starling, Lashesky, Ryan, and Goodwin, it's a small lineup where you need a big man transfer. Uh, <laughs> that's not a lot of playing time for Trey Works, right? I mean, it's not, he'd be, he would easily be this, he'll be the sixth man for sure, but he's a sixth man behind some really good young guard. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it, like, as far as the bigs, I mean, you know, a, a healthy, academically eligible Elijah Taylor is in the mix. Uh, Van Allen Lubin of true freshmen's in the mix. Dom Campbell is in the mix. These are big guy possibilities. And I think J.R. Konesny. He's, a, he's in the is, lineup. Is, is, in that, is, in eight, is in eight. Yeah. And Bray will go eight if he, if he, he will go eight. I know he, he generally it stops at seven, but he will go as high as eight. I think he'll end up going at seven again. 
The only reason I unless they get a transfer. Okay. The only reason I would say eight is because if you don't have a distinct big man, you can rotate Taylor, Van Allen, Lubin, and Dom Campbell. Yeah, and you won't have a distinct big man without a transfer. That's that's true. That's true. So hard to say, but uh, I think I think Wirtz, Hub, and Atkinson do not come back. I think Goodwin, Lashewski, maybe, probably, uh, and and Cormac Ryan come back. I'd like to see Atkinson. and Wesley and Wesley comes back. Get the waiver and just see if he can make his decision. That'd be great for Atkinson. Yeah, I mean, if they had Atkinson back and Wesley to go That's with, a team right there. if you have the if you have Atkinson, if you have Atkinson back, man, That's you got a chance team. to be really good, really, really good. You know, again, it comes down to matchups and stuff, but. That's why Mike Bray 10, he's going, they're going to win 10 or all. They better, they better get really fortunate with matchups. One day they Tim. get into the sweet 16 and the and elite eight. Hey, Is, they, uh, do do they run into, oh, that's amazing. do they play Georgia tech in Pittsburgh again? Those six, the six teams that are playing tomorrow suck, man. They are bad. They are bad. <laughs> they're, they're, they're bad. So I don't, I, I mean, I don't, I don't expect any of the three winners tomorrow to advance to win on to win on Wednesday. I don't either. But did you know that Clemson enters the ACC tournament with a four-game winning streak for the first time since basketball started? What are you talking about? (laughs) What are you talking? What kind of basket? What? They've never been on a four-game winning streak going into the ACC tournament, Clemson. Oh, (laughs) until now. Basketball, never, they've never, been. they've never, so never entered on a four game winning streak. Wow. Wow. You know, at least they have, they, at least they, they have, I think they found some stability with their, their head coach. Yeah. I just don't know. I don't know how far Clemson basketball can go beyond where they are right now. I, they they've been better than they are this year. They, they were better than they were. Yeah. They had, they had I mean, with blossom game. They were good. This is a bit of a, yeah. Segue yeah. we're going on here, but they're, they're pretty good with that. I just found that I found that an amazing tweet that that was just four game that's, winning streak never happened going into the tournament. That's pretty well. That's pretty well. Well, we have a lot to look forward to with uh, with basketball here moving forward, and certainly spring football starting on March seventeenth. We'll be back on Monday, March fourteenth, for our next Irish Illustrated Insider. As always, we greatly appreciate you joining us. Talk to you on Monday. <laughs>